Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 10. If you'll turn there, we'll pick up where we left off last week. We have our low-tech air conditioning going. Hope you appreciate that. I was thinking as I was listening to the fans once the worship music kind of faded out. And, um, you know, we've done a lot of work on this old building. It was built in like 1930 and by the Lutherans. And there's been different churches over the decades that have met here. And there was a, a missionary Baptist church that met here uh, for a time. And um, this section over here, I don't know if they had it for like a choir or something like that. But there was a little little wall. And anyway, when we were tearing all this out, we found, do you remember, all these little paper fans that the lady... <laughs> Ladies would fan themselves with in the heat of this old building. Anyway, our text begins in verse 46. Now, they came to Jericho as he, that's Jesus, went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he, that's Bartimaeus, heard that it was he, or that it was, excuse me, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still, commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, Rise, he's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, or my great one, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Father, we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture, as we always pray, Lord, that you'd give us life application. Father, we are foolish if we don't approach your Scriptures expecting to receive something from you. It expresses a great lack of faith. We would rather, Lord, approach your word, not only when we're together in this church building, but every day that we open your word, that we read the scriptures, that we would approach your word with faith, that we would remind ourselves that you are the author, you're the one who inspired the human writers to write these things, to record these things. They are written for our benefit, and that they are eternal, that the world will pass away, but the word of God will not ever cease to exist. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this text this morning, and we look forward to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. If I can remind you that the movement right now in uh, Mark's gospel, the movement is toward Jerusalem. Everyone is moving toward Jerusalem. 
Jesus and his disciples are moving toward Jerusalem. Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem, but more specifically, Jesus is moving toward the cross. Jesus told his disciples what was coming, but of course, as we saw last week and and, uh, a number of times before in our study of Mark, that though Jesus had told them of the things that are coming, they were blinded to the reality of these things. They just could not see it, and these things were hidden from them, as we saw last week. So the multitudes are heading to Jerusalem because it's Passover season, so everything's moving that direction. So our account tells us of a blind man there in Jericho who was touched, who was healed, whose eyes were opened by Jesus. And, and at face value, we look at this and we say, well, you know, this is what Jesus did. When Jesus was on the earth, he healed people, he touched people, he, he cleansed lepers, he even touched them. I mean, how amazing is that? And This is what Jesus did, and this is what the people did. The people who had needs, they would come out and they would, you know, wait to have an encounter with Jesus. And so here it is, you know. But I'll tell you guys, there's a lot to glean from this text. I think it's worth noting that for some who simply read the scriptures and they're not really students of the scriptures, they could easily come to the conclusion that there are so many contradictions in the Bible, the Bible can't be trusted. How many times have you heard that from people? Maybe you share the gospel with people, and that's what they come up with. Oh, there's so many contradictions in the Bible. I've suggested to you in the past that you hand them your Bible and ask them to show you one. Just one. You know, I mean, don't, you don't have to say, show me 10 or 20. Just say, could you show me just one contradiction of the Bible? Now, don't do that unless you know your Bible, because it will be embarrassing if they seem to find a contradiction. For example, if we weren't students of the Word of God, some might come and say, well, wait a minute, Mark's got it wrong. Mark mentioned one blind man and, and yet Matthew tells us that there were two blind men. How can you not get that straight? I mean, obviously, this, there's a contradiction here because, you know, two, one, I mean, we're not talking about 20, you know, 200. We're talking about two. There was either two or there was one. And, and Mark and Luke tell us that there, were, there was one. And, well, actually, they don't tell us that, do they? They simply focus on one. But Matthew tells us, that there were actually two blind men. So that contradiction is cleared up, you know, just in case you were stumbled about that. But then there's another contradiction, and it's a more serious contradiction, because Luke tells us that the blind man was healed as Jesus was coming near Jericho. And Matthew and Mark tell us that the blind man was healed as Jesus went out of Jericho. So come on. Come on, guys. You can't even get this right. Was he he going in or was he coming out? I mean, come on. These are easy things. If we can't trust you with the simple, you know, description of what was happening, how can we possibly trust you with the deeper things? Of course, there's no contradiction at all. And you wouldn't know that unless you knew that there were actually, at that time, two Jerichos. There was a Jericho that was destroyed and then eventually rebuilt, but that was destroyed in the days of Joshua. And then there was a new Jericho that was built by, who do you think built new Jericho? 
Just a guess. It's not a test. Who was built? Who say? Herod the Great. Because Herod the Great was building everything, wasn't he? I mean, he was building the temple and all the additions there. And he built Masada. And he built Jericho, a new Jericho, right outside the old Jericho. And so there's no contradiction whatsoever. We know that Jesus uh, was coming out of the, the old city of Jericho. He was about to enter the new city of Jericho when he saw Bartimaeus and his friend begging alms. Both of them were blind. So no contradiction whatsoever. By the way, guys, faith comes by hearing and not by the word of God. So I point this out, I, I think, every week, that it's not a magic formula It is the practical reading, studying, knowing, applying the word of God. It builds your faith. It's not this, you know, oh, I feel it coming. I feel it. No, no, no. It's so practical. You just study the scriptures. This is what the word of God says. I can trust the word of God. Let me give you an example of this. There's so many examples of this. But speaking of Jericho, Joshua said after Jericho was destroyed, Actually, before it was destroyed, Joshua said, he charged them at that time saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who raises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn. In other words, at the cost of the life of his firstborn. And with his youngest, he shall set up its gates. So he said there was a curse. It's a curse from God. You rebuild this. Jericho, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your first son. It's going to cost you your second son. You say, well, well, that's that's important. So it wasn't supposed to be rebuilt. Why wasn't it supposed to be rebuilt? Because it was to stand as a monument, as a reminder to the children of Israel. This is what the Lord has called us to do. The Lord gave this land to our father Abraham. It belongs to him and his descendants. It belongs to us. The Lord told us what to do as we entered the land, the promised land, to drive out the inhabitants of the land. You know, guys, listen, listen, listen. If you're not a student of the Bible, if you're just simply a you know, casual reader of the Bible, you'll believe the rhetoric of those who do not believe in God at all, who are saying, God is mean, God is vicious. How could he, how could he tell his children, the children of Israel, his people to destroy the non-believers? But if you're a student of the word of God, you know that they were to drive them out of the land. Because if they remained in the land, they would become like them. Historically, what happened? They were disobedient to drive them out of the land. So in time, they became just like them. To the degree that they were worshiping the same gods that the ites were worshiping. To the degree that they even caused their babies, their children to pass through the fires. You think, what would get a person to do something like that? Well, so that they might be blessed and prosper, you know. It's like abortion today. Why abort your child? Well, you know, because it could really radically change your life and uh, make it difficult for you. I mean, aren't these the arguments that we hear financially? It's a financial decision. That's what it is. Something's never changed. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. It's just, you know, repeated over and over again. Well, Joshua said this, and we read this in Joshua's book, 
named after him. And then you go further on in history and you have the account of First Kings, first and second Kings. So you have the kings, and as a student of the Bible, you know, sometimes it's confusing when you're reading through the kings because you're reading and you're saying, wait a minute, this king, I thought I just read about this king, and I thought he died, and now I'm reading about him again. And it's because you need to understand the nation was divided. There was the, the, the south and the north. There was Israel to the north. There was Judah to the south. And many times, there were not many times, there were times when they would have kings with who have the same name, ruling in different locations, different people altogether. But in 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 34, it says this, in his day, the his there is Ahab, by the way, students of the Bible, what was Ahab doing, this king of Israel? What was he doing? He was reversing everything that God had set up. He was going back to these pagan ways So it was in his day when he was ruling. Remember his wife, Jezebel? It says when he was ruling in his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. Oh, so someone did it. Someone rebuilt the old city of Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn. And with his youngest, Segub, he set its gates. And this is what it says according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. Guys, we need to pay attention. I always emphasize the importance of Bible prophecy. We are living in a day in which we are seeing things set up for the fulfillment of prophecy concerning our Lord's second coming. We're watching these things happen. We need to pay attention. The Lord does this. Now, for some of us, we wonder, Lord, what are you waiting for? Why is it taking so long? Especially if all of your family saved and all your friends and everyone said, come on, Lord, what are you waiting for? Now, if you have family members that are not saved, you're saying, oh, Lord, hold off, hold off. They need to come to faith in you, you know. It's all a matter of perspective. But I'll tell you, these things are happening. These things were recorded. These things are happening. We're watching these things being set up. The Lord is giving opportunity after opportunity after opportunity because he's long-suffering for us to get things right, <laughs> to set our household right, for the young people to take seriously the word of God. This is not something to play with. This is something that is serious, 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 serious. You must be born again, young or old, everyone must be born again. This is serious. You say, all right, Dan, that's your rent. Well, that's only one of many. I'm sure we'll continue. Let's get back to our text. Verse 47. When he, that's Bartimaeus, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, how did he respond? Well, look at the text. He didn't say, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. No. He said, son of David, now, guys, listen, again, that will go right past you if you're not a student of the Word of God. If you're a student of the Word of God, you say, this is significant. This is important. Because blind Bartimaeus, he hears about Jesus of Nazareth, that he is present, that he is there, and immediately he uses a messianic title. Do you wonder why? 
When I read the scriptures, I'm always asking questions of the Lord. I'm always reading the text and, you know, because we don't have a, we don't have word for word everything that was ever spoken. We don't have blow by blow every, every movement, every account, every step that was taken, you know. We have what the Holy Spirit deemed important for us to have so that we might glean from it. But when I read that, I say, well, what was it that, that, that moved Bartimaeus so quickly to use this messianic title, speaking of Jesus? And of course, the scripture doesn't tell us. But I wonder, I wonder, if, I wonder if he was born blind. The scripture doesn't tell us. If he was born blind, I wonder if his parents would read scripture to him. Wouldn't you do that? I would do that for my children. We would read scripture to our children before they could read. Then when they were able to read, we had them read scripture to us. (laughs) But if I had a blind child that was unable to read, I would, my wife would, without a doubt, many times throughout the day, read the scriptures to that child. And I wonder if his parents read the scriptures to him. Now remember, guys, we need to think biblically the scriptures. What were the scriptures? Well, the scriptures were not the gospels. They were not the epistles. They were not the book of Revelation. Those things did not exist. Those things had not been written. They were the Old Testament scriptures. Maybe his parents would read Isaiah to him, and he would listen to his parents read, and maybe his father or mother would say, no, Now, these are scriptures concerning Messiah. When Messiah comes, these are the things that he's going to do. He's going to set the prisoner free. Maybe they would say, Bart, you'll like this one. When Messiah comes, he will open the eyes of the blind. If you were a blind little boy and you heard that scripture, do you think you would hold on to that? I would hold on to that if I was a blind little boy thinking, maybe Messiah will come in my day. Maybe I'll have an encounter with Messiah. Maybe Messiah will open my eyes. Are you following where I'm going with this, guys? Listen, the word of God is not dull. If the word of God is putting you to sleep, you need to be born again. It's not because I'm a dynamic speaker. I'm not. It's because the word of God is so powerful. Can I tell you something? Can I give you a little hint? You know, I've been walking with Jesus for about 45 years. And and there's been many services that I've sat through to where maybe I didn't feel I was really receiving much from the pulpit. But I had my Bible with me. That's why I always encourage people to have their Bible. And I would have the text that we were studying, and I would look at the text. And as I would look at the text, regardless of what was happening from the pulpit, if I thought it was boring or not, the Lord was so faithful to speak to me from the text, from his word, to my heart. So if you don't get anything from me, at least look to the word, even where you're sitting. Zone me out, but receive from the Lord. You must receive from the Lord. We must train ourselves to be able to hear the word of God and to receive it and to apply it to our lives. I think, when I look at this, I think Bartimaeus, what an amazing guy. He was physically blind. He didn't know it was Jesus. He had to ask, what's all the ruckus? I hear a bunch of people. What are they saying? I hear some people talking. Who are they talking about? And someone says, it's Jesus of Nazareth. 
this blind guy who could not see Jesus had more spiritual insight than probably the majority of the people in the crowd. And his conclusion was, this must be the Messiah. Must be him. Don't you love that? I love that. The childlike faith. By the way, the faith that pleases the Lord. That childlike faith. I, I, and he starts crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Remember when Nathaniel, when Philip went to Nathaniel and, and, and Philip said to Nathaniel, we, we found the one that Moses spoke of in the law, because Jesus is, is written about in the law, and the prophets spoke of, because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. We found him. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You know, because we're Christians, we anything about Jesus is precious to us. Jesus of Nazareth, that's precious to us. Son of David, that, or son of uh, Joshua, that's precious to us. But I'm telling you, for Nathan, it did not impress him at all. Jesus, common name. <laughs> I know 15 of them. Jesus. From Nazareth. Nazareth? You've got to be kidding. You say you're reading into the text. I'm not reading into the text because his response was, can anything good come from Nazareth? Does anything good come from... Do prophets come from Nazareth? Would Messiah come from Nazareth? And Joseph, who's Joseph? Well, he's a carpenter. What is that supposed to mean to me? And Philip simply says, come and see. And when he came and saw Jesus, then, though he was not impressed with Nazareth or Joseph because he didn't understand these things, of course, he didn't have the insight of those things until they were fulfilled. He was impressed with Jesus. And I suggest to you that blind Bartimaeus was impressed with Jesus even before he actually saw Jesus, right? Because there has been no healing yet as he's crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. So he's crying out and Verse 48 tells us, and many warned him to be quiet. Shh, keep it down. He's an important person, you know. He doesn't have time for people like you. Shut up. Their opposition caused him to be even more bold. Guys, there's life application all over the text. We live in a world that's becoming more and more hostile toward Christians. Listen, if you're, if you're a Christian by name, don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. N- nothing is going to touch you. Don't worry about it, honestly. But if you're a serious follower of Jesus Christ, be aware of it. Be aware of it. Bartimaeus, he didn't shut up. He spoke up. He didn't give up. He didn't let his faith uh, let up, if you will. He was persistent. And that's how we must be persistent. Now, of course, things change. We're reading the text, and again, you read it and you say, boy, things really happen fast in the Bible. No, we simply have what we have so that we might get the just out of what was happening at the time. 
what words might have been spoken, what, what things might have been done. You know, we have no idea. But look at verse 49. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer. Rise. He's calling you. You say, why do you have to raise your voice? Because that's what the text says. Guys, there's so much to glean. The word called, used here, it literally means to call out with a loud voice that can be heard from a distance. Maybe quietly they were saying, be quiet, shut up. But once they got the green light from Jesus, whoever they were, we can't assume that it was one of the twelve, maybe it was just someone else in the crowd. Then when they had the green light from Jesus, they spoke up with a loud voice so that he could hear them. I was thinking of how, you know, we're, we're kind of silly that way, aren't we? You talk to someone who speaks a different language and then you speak louder and louder because that's supposed to help. <laughs> or someone who's blind, you know, you start talking really loud and they're covering their ear and say, listen, I'm blind, I'm not deaf, you know. And verse 50 tells us something that I think is powerful. It says, in throwing aside his garment. Again, guys, I, I hope, I I'll tell you, as a, a pastor, I was talking to, and I do from time to time, some of the folks in the church that teach in different areas, different groups. And sometimes they'll express to me their frustration of teaching. And, 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 I, and I'll tell them, I say, it never gets easier. Um. I remember years ago, uh, you know, I, I've, since I've been a Christian, I've been teaching the word to one group or another, you know, children's ministry, youth ministry. We always had a home Bible study. Um, so, you know, whoever would come to your home Bible study, I would teach them. And, and I remember uh, as an elder in Grass Valley, Calvary Chapel, Grass Valley, um, our pastor decided that when we got together that um, an elder or two would give a short little devotional. And so um, it was my turn to do the devotional. And I was really nervous about it. I don't know why. I was just really nervous. And so um, I remember we were sitting out on the patio or the deck of one of the elders. We were meeting at his house. And so I began to give my devotion, teach my devotion. And, you know, all the elders looked like death warmed over, you know. I think it happened after lunch. So it's the worst time to ever speak after people eat, you know. And I looked at two people. One of them was my wife, of course. She is always encouraging. Um, I, it sounds arrogant, but I, I, I don't care much what you think of me. But when I come home on Sunday mornings, um, I'm waiting for some response from one particular person. And uh, that's my wife. And, you know, we've, we've been married for so long, I know. And I could tell when she, and my wife's extremely 
gracious, you know. She's never said, oh, that was a doozy. That one was bad, you know. But sometimes I could hear in her voice, you know, that she, you know, I was like, what? What, what was it, you know? And, and, and we'll talk about those things. But she's always so encouraging. But I remember on that occasion, there was my wife, Tracy, and then one of the other elder's wives, Sue. And uh, Sue was looking at me, and I don't even remember what I was sharing. Maybe I was really boring in my presentation of it, but she was sitting there, and she was nodding. And so I decided in that moment, I was going to share my devotion with two people. The rest of them didn't matter. They all faded into the backdrop, but there were two, my wife and Sue. You say, what does that have to do with anything? I'll tell our teachers sometimes when they say, oh, it's so hard, you know, they, 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 they don't want to hear, they're not listening, you know, and I'll say, you just teach the word, <laughs> leave the results to the Lord, it's up to the Lord. But it is frustrating, and it's kind of, there's a sense of urgency today in which we live. We really believe, those that are teaching the Bible here at Calvary Chapel, we really truly believe that time is very, very short. I mean, we really do live our lives to where from Wednesday to, to Sunday or from men's you know, group to uh, Wednesday night or whatever it might be from Sunday to Sunday, we don't know if we're going to see each other here on earth and in this little chapel or we're going to see each other in heaven. We truly live and we truly believe that. And so we, when we teach the Bible, there's always that sense of urgency. Time is short. And so what's the message? Well, here's the scripture, here's the text. But guys, but guys, listen, there's so much more and you need to apply this. And are you truly saved? Are you truly born again? Do you have the spirit of God? Because these aren't things to toy with. When you're young, you feel like you think that you have a whole lifetime ahead of you. But you may not. And so many don't really consider the seriousness of the word of God And so their faith is not being built upon the word of God. Their faith, if they have faith, is built in something else. Anyway, I can't help from exhorting like that. I really can't. We live in a time where churches are going south all the time. Movements, denominations, pastors are going south all the time. I've heard many, many times in my 45 years of walking with Jesus, people say, I just lost faith when pastor so-and-so did. And I just, you know, I learned early on, man, if you're looking to pastor so-and-so, our church, what's its name, and not Jesus and not the Bible, man, you're going to be easily stumbled. And you can't be that way. We keep encouraging men to be men of the word, so that if this was to be shut down, it doesn't stop. You're just picking up and carrying on in your homes with other groups of people. But see, if we don't have the faith to give us the boldness to say, I'll I'll do such a thing, even though it might mean something bad, You give in. He throws his garment aside. Some have suggested 
that the garment that's referred to, because the other gospel writers, they don't mention the garment, but it's mentioned. So again, student of the Bible, we need to ask, why is it mentioned? Why would a garment be important? And it's been suggested that the garment was a garment that beggars wore to identify themselves as those who needed alms. See, if that's the case, then there's something very significant here. If that's the case, could it be that when they called for him and said, Jesus is calling for you, come on, come on, come on, that in that moment, because he had already come to the conclusion that when Messiah comes, I'll recognize him. How, blind man? By what he's doing, by what he's saying. I'll recognize him. And when the moment came, he didn't have to think about it. In that moment, he cast his garment. I picture the shekels, the the money on that garment going flying every which way. And in that moment, I picture him concluding, I don't need this anymore. I don't need this anymore. I'm in the presence of the Messiah. Could he have such faith? Yes. I suggest to you that he did have such faith. And I see another bit of application from this. There are things that must be thrown aside when Jesus calls us to himself. And this is where, for many people, their whole Christian experience, I don't know if I said it at the beginning of of this teaching, I know I did at the first, that I personally see Bartimaeus' experience as a picture of the Christian experience, and that is truly seeing Jesus Christ and then following him. I mean, that's simple. Seeing and following. And and I think that this is where it breaks down for a lot of people because a lot of people who profess the name of Christ, you know, someone was telling me recently, Wednesday night, I know who it is. I'm not going to tell you because I don't want to embarrass him. But he was telling me someone in his family and someone he knows kind of busting his chops, you know. I don't know what you teach at that or what they teach at that church. But we teach that salvation is by grace alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And the man said, we believe that because that's what the Bible teaches. But just the way it was presented, it almost seems like it's it's. Faith alone. I don't have to do anything after salvation. See, that's the ignorance of so many people. I'm saved by faith alone. So therefore, the Bible becomes absolutely meaningless to you? It's it's not something that needs to be heeded or applied to your life? So when Paul says that very thing, that we're saved... That it's not by our merits, it's not by our goodness, it's not by anything we could do that we're saved by faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus accomplished what the law could never accomplish because of our weakness. And then he goes on to say, and we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That that somehow gets voided out? Do you see what I'm saying? There's a response And there are things that that many professing Christians, they cling to like a security blanket. They cling to these things of the old life. 
which hinders them from truly following Jesus. It's Christ alone. Jesus. It's just Jesus. Just me and Jesus as we reach for the bottle of this, that, or the other. Or the, you know, the pot shop on the way home because we really can't get through life without that stuff. You say, oh, Dan, that's a small number of people who believe such things. I think we'd be surprised. I think we'd be surprised. I've been surprised over the decades of pastoring a church. I've been surprised when I've had, you know, leaders, elders, deacons come to me and and, uh, you know, they reveal their hidden little secret that they smoke pot every day of their life. And it breaks my heart. And I think, what a fraud you are. Some of you might be angry, even in a small group like this. Hey, it's legalized. I could do that. I have liberty. Yeah, your liberty is causing you to sit on your hands. You're doing nothing for the kingdom of God. I like to smoke a little. And then, man, I'm chatty Cathy. And I just like talking about Jesus. And the person who's listening to you talk about Jesus, they're looking at you and they're saying, what a joke you are. What has Jesus done for you? Tell me once again what he's done for you. As you reach for this and reach for that and you're grabbing those security blankets of the old life. Bartimaeus. To me, his actions, because Jesus said to him, Jesus said to him in verse 52, go your way, uh, emphasize that, go your way, go your way, your faith has made you well. You'll see in the margin of your Bible that next to made you well, that it literally should be rendered saved you. Bartimaeus, by his actions, in essence is saying, I don't want to go my way anymore. I want to go your way. And that's what a true born-again believer in Christ Jesus does. When I was a child, you know the thing. When I was a child, I thought as a child, I acted as, you know. But when I became a new creature in Christ Jesus, I put away those childish things. We don't cling to those lesser things, those weak things any longer. We're free from that. That's part of the old life. That's bondage. That just keeps you stuck in a rut. Jesus is coming back. I can't do it. You can't do it. Surrender. To him. I was talking to one of my family members and we we're talking about that. You know, why is it that it's such a battle to surrender? And we think that surrender is, is, is the greatest feat known to man. That surrender is, is the hardest thing that anyone could do. Surrender. And yet we exhibit the attitude of surrender Every time we give in to sin. And it's so easy and it's so natural. And we don't even think twice about it. It just, it, just, it just happens, you know. And we feed the flesh. My pastor 
used to say, he always used to have these different sayings. He would say, Christianity is like climbing a greased pole. If you're not going up, you're sliding down. He used to also give the illustration, speaking of the flesh and the spirit, because, you know, the Bible talks about that, the New Testament, that we as born-again people have two natures. We have the old nature and we have the new nature. And he used to say that it's like fighting dogs, He says, if you had fighting dogs and you fed the one and starved the other, which one do you think would win in a fight? And the obvious is the one you feed. And he'd say, stop feeding the wrong dog. (laughs) Stop feeding it. That's why your flesh becomes so strong and so resistant to the Spirit of God, to to the leading of the Spirit of God and the conviction of the Spirit of God. And I can't do this on my own. You can't do it on your own. Surrender to the Lord. How? What does it look like for each one of us? There was a lady who attended this church. She had children and she was married and she was addicted to meth. And... um, We've had many people in the church that are addicted to one thing or another. And and, uh, I knew that something was different. Something was odd. I wasn't really up to speed on that type of stuff. You know, the weird term to use, speaking of meth. but, um, But she came in and she confessed to me one day. She says, I'm... And I said, oh, and this was kind of something new for me, to be honest. I, you know, I, I didn't know much about it. And, and I said, well, do you have some on you right now? And she goes, yes, I have quite a bit on me. I said, well, come on, let's go down to the bathroom. That seems strange, doesn't it? And I said, um, I'm going to help you today be obedient to the Lord. So there's the toilet. Uh, I'll stand out here. Go ahead and just dump that stuff in the, in the trash can. You don't have to take it out of the little baggies. Just go ahead and dump it all in there and flush it. And, and I remember it was like, you know, watching someone in a wrestling match. They, they kept looking, she kept looking back at me and I said, go ahead, just dump it. You can do this. This is, this is easy. This is easy. This is the easy part. The hard part is going to be later on, but this is the easy part. So just go ahead and, and get rid of that flush it, you know. And she did. She would go away and visit her uh, family. You know, there's some families, boy, it'd be better to stay away from them. And her family was like that. So she'd go to California. She'd visit family. She'd come back. I remember one Wednesday night, I was sitting somewhere here before service began. She walked in. She said, hello, I'm back. And I turned around. There were other people here. I turned around and I looked at her. And I immediately stood up and walked back. I think I asked Tracy to come with me. And I said, you're using meth again, aren't you? I said, you're wearing it. You're wearing it on your face. See, people who are addicted to stuff, they think that they look perfectly fine, but, but, but it's there. And this was a struggle with her. And we watched the battle of the flesh and the spirit. I know, I know that Christ is the answer. I know that he's the answer. 
And, and it was just such a struggle for her. I mean, she had so many things, family issues that were just horrible, horrific things that I would not share in a situation like this. And then her marriage wasn't that much better. There was unfaithfulness and, and all. And so it was just bad. And finally she gave in. She threw in the towel. But not when it came to the drugs, when it came to the Lord. In one of her drugged out crazes, she was raped. She conceived. She knew enough, knew enough, to where this child was precious to her, even though the means by which it came, and she had that child. By the time the child was just a little toddler, she was so far gone when it with drugs. It was so tragic. She got cancer, which added to the problem. So how do you cope? How do you cope when life stinks? We train ourselves. How do we cope? I hope that I cope with Jesus. I hope that Jesus has proven himself to be trustworthy and and able to carry my burdens and my struggles whatever they might be or I'll go back to the things that seem to work even though I know they're not working it was so sad Tracy and I went to her memorial service when we first got there it was her husband her children who were young adults by then, or close to it. Tracy and I, and I'm looking, thinking someone else has to come, and then the Cuthbertsons came in. Needless to say, there were very few people that even were in touch with her, even knew that she had passed away and everything, and it was so tragic. And I remember that as Tracy and I were standing, we're looking at a collage of photographs, We just were weeping for the loss of a life that had the potential of so much more in Christ. So don't tell me. I'm saved, man. Get off my back. I could do whatever I want. I could live anywhere I want. It's all about faith. It is all about faith. But People who truly have faith in Christ. If you truly have faith in Christ, it all ends the same way, and that is following Jesus. If you're saying that you're saved, but there is no fruit of following Jesus, for your sake, question your salvation. Please. For your sake. Would you stand with me please? Father I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. There's few of us. It's summertime. And and, and we've got the summertime crew you know. And and yet Lord I, I don't know the hearts. I don't know the struggles. I don't know. But you know. 
And I pray, Father, that we would be a people who are waking up right now, that we'd be thinking, Jesus is coming back. I believe that. That we'd ask ourselves questions, that we'd kind of present questions to ourselves. If I believe that, am I, am I, am I walking with him? Am I ready for his return? Is there evidence of salvation? Is there fruit of the Spirit in my life? Is there, a, is there this desire that's beyond myself? It's a supernatural desire of the indwelling, empowering Holy Spirit within me that's saying to me, read my word. I want to talk to you. I want to speak to you. Apply my word. This is how I want you to apply it. Are we progressive? Are we moving forward? Not progressive in the world's rendering of the word but are we moving forward are we following you i know lord whenever you know anyone teaches like this there's always going to be those and i don't care about those i care about i care about the ones who are convicted in their hearts right now maybe they're even watching live stream and they're thinking i There's this pattern. Last night I was partying and now I'm watching live stream and and why am I in this trap and why am I in this rut and why am I not changing? And we pray, Father, that there would be this humility before you. Saying, Lord, would you save me, please? If I'm not saved, would you save me? Lord, Lord, would would you give me strength, Lord? I'm going to do my part, Lord. If that means flushing or pouring or dumping, I'm going to do my part, Lord. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to have faith in what your word says, that it's your spirit that empowers us to live the life that you've called us to live. I pray, Father, that each person in here would surrender their life to you. And I pray, Father, that that we would that we wouldn't be like the rich young ruler who went away sad, but that we'd be like Bartimaeus who followed you and he was glad. We pray, Father, that we would choose the life that you have offered. Pray for those who are struggling with addictions, struggling with a life they've given up, they've thrown in the towel. Father, please, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would move upon their hearts. We pray that what's in the brain would move down to the heart. We pray, Father, that what's in the heart would would lead to action in the hands and the feet, in the life, in the walk. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.